0: Welcome back for the 50th and final episode of Season 2 of the 28 Summers Podcast. My name is Jay Worthy. I'm a former billion-dollar CEO turned adventurer, helping you to uncover ways to live life more adventurously. It has been such an honor bringing this season of 28 Summers to you, and I am so grateful to all of you for your incredible support. I would love to know if you would be interested in hearing a third season of the podcast So please do message me on Instagram at One Day Adventurer and let me know what you think. I can't think of anyone better to help me bring this season to a close than my guest today, who is none other than Karen Dark. Karen lives life as a modern day alchemist, passionate about turning challenge into opportunity and transforming the difficult stuff into gold. She loves to explore, have adventures, stay healthy and to write about her experiences. Now as a young woman, Karen was a keen runner, a climber and an orienteer. But she fell off a cliff whilst climbing and became paralysed from the chest down, aged just 21. In her own words, at first she thought she would rather be dead than paralysed. But she soon learned that with friends, creativity and perseverance, so many things are still possible in a wheelchair. She is such an inspiration. Karen has had a pretty extraordinary life and I really hope you enjoy this chat as much as much as I did. Karen, welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. Thank you so much for making time. Really excited to chat to you today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So let's dive right in. One of the things that I really like to do with guests is kind of start right in their childhood. I'd love to know a little bit about your kind of younger years, like how how adventurous were you as a kid? Were you off on, you know, adventures out in the woods and running riot, or were you a bit more indoorized as a
1: kid? Well, you can probably guess the answer to that. No, I think I was, I was <laughs> nearly always been outside as much as possible. In fact, I realised I don't really need a house. I just need a place to sleep and some basics and a good enough climate that I can be outside most of the time otherwise so yeah I think I was an adventurous kid always outside um we had our own like secret seven club although well, there weren't seven of us in it but we we're always burying boxes of treasure and just doing stuff outside all the time and you know pre pre-iphone pre-games pre-mobiles all that kind of stuff so you just out playing can run and relievo and hide and seek and that kind of stuff so yeah I've always loved being outdoors um my parents again took us outdoors quite a lot so always heading up to North Wales or the Lake District when I was growing up camping and new and hiking that kind of thing typical teenager sometimes or you know dragging my heels through the ground on a wet Sunday when we're being dragged out for a walk but I think what was transformational for me was at the age of 16 There was an organization called the Yorkshire Schools Exploring Society. Um, I was just in a standard comp school, but there was a poster on the wall. And I just thought, wow, that sounds amazing. It was for a a, a kind of expedition to a remote part of China. And then just wrote myself off instantly. So I thought, I can't do that. And I can't afford that and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, my parents have always been very encouraging. So they didn't pay for it, but they really helped me think creatively about how I could fundraise, get part-time jobs. Um, and I went on a selection weekend and got selected, and that was like dragging planks through caves in the Yorkshire Dales and 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 it transformed my life. I remember just loving that weekend so much and coming back from it exhausted and just going, wow, this is I've found something that I love here and yeah, so I joined the mountain bike group and then um, had a year to every month for a year. We went away as a little team into the Yorkshire Dales and camped out in the wilderness and got wet and muddy. And I think that was just my like my kind of almost like a rite of passage, if you like, from childhood to adulthood with adventure. And just that's what set me off with it, really.
0: I love that. I didn't know that. That's a great story. And I, I love that when I hear that people have done something like that and they didn't necessarily know that that was their their thing, you know, the thing that kind of made their heart sing and made them happy. And then they go and they just discover it. I chatted recently to Lucy Shepherd, and she said something the same. She went up on a, you know, an event up in Scotland and just fell in love with it. So at that point, did you, you kind of, it was love at first sight, right? So you knew that you loved the adventure side of things, was it, was it like, I want to do this for, for work or was it just something you loved doing?
1: No, it's just, I didn't ever think about it that strategically. It was just something that I loved doing. And yeah, I felt like I'd kind of found, yeah, I think I felt like I'd found something that I was excited about. And, you know, I when I was training on my own to get fit the first time I went around the field at back of my dad's house, I honestly thought I was going to die after one lap of the field. And then gradually you know you get fitter and I was up on the top of the moors and I would just have a lot of solitary time riding around the Yorkshire moors um I grew up in West Yorkshire so on the bike and just sat up in the heather with the the grouse and yeah I think just that kind of found a, a peaceful place and I remember before that I was feeling just a little bit maybe of a misfit in a way because I you know my peers were you know, at weekends you go Drinking or to a nightclub, and I just always felt out of place, and it wasn't like for me. And I remember ordering alcoholic drinks with my friends, but then pouring them down the toilet because I was too embarrassed not to order them, but didn't really want to drink them. And I just felt like I was in a world that wasn't me. So I think that expedition, really, and well, really, the year leading up to it and everything that was involved was kind of me finding a, something in life that felt like it really worked for me and. Kind of
0: finding your tribe, if you like, finding people that you felt comfortable with. Yeah. That's nice. And so from there, did you, uh, from a studies perspective, kind of head off to university or studies of any sort?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, climbing then became quite a big part of my my life. Uh, Again, the area that I grew up in, there's plenty of bouldering and um, not big rock faces, but the bouldering world. And there were a couple of members of staff at the school I went to that, Whatever we had weekends or activity weeks or Wednesday afternoons when I was in the sixth form go and do you know outdoor activities so I just got really really into climbing went away to as a student to Leeds University and um it just grew from there really just joined all of the clubs there that I could orienteering was a big thing for me mountaineering and just that passion just grew and then I started going to Scotland and the Alps and climbing in these locations and you know just put just that innocence of youth where you just think you can do anything and you feel invincible and of course that led to the climbing accident that had that changed the direction of my life forever but um yeah I mean looking back it's easy now to see that I was just in that fairly ego-based place of youth where you think you just push and climb and nothing's ever going to happen and not really knowing how to listen to my intuition and make make sense of that so yeah it's
0: it's difficult isn't it because it's the benefit of hindsight looking back but um yeah at that age you, you're typically just kind of full of the joys of life aren't you and just think you can do anything there's some wonderful pictures on your website of you you know early on doing some of those uh some of those climbs and being in the Alps, which i which i loved but you you obviously mentioned your accident so if you if you don't mind maybe if you could tell us tell us what happened um i think you were 21 when when the accident happened is that right
1: yeah I mean it's woo, it's quite a long time ago now so um, I don't know what's real and what gaps I've filled in but in <laughs> essence went, went rock climbing with some friends and some sea cliffs outside Aberdeen which is where I was a student and um, it was a steep overhanging rock face I should have come back down because it was pretty tricky I was struggling to 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 make the moves. And I didn't. I was climbing with a guy with enormous shoulders who I didn't really know very well. And I should have just said, Hey, you, you come and climb this, you're bigger than I am. But I was being really headstrong. And you know, that's always been my thing sometimes. It's just to push a bit too hard with my head. So um yeah, I, I was climbing under an overhang and couldn't hold on anymore. Don't I mean I don't honestly remember it, but what I understand is that that I, I knew I was gonna fall like hold get ready i'm about to fall and then i took a big swing on the rope because the last piece of protection that i put onto the rock came away from the rock face so I, I was unconscious for three days i mean i have a few very vague memories of helicopter noises and calling out my postcode when i must have been asked for it but i don't remember any pain or any anything really so not until i um, waking up in intensive care three days later i believe lucky to be alive and then um, entering this whole new world of yeah being told I was paralyzed from the chest down and unlikely to walk again etc so yeah big big shift and I think at that point I was in a drug in induced haze <laughs> so I think the impact of that news didn't really strike home until about a month later when I was moved out of intensive care into a spinal injuries hospital down in Yorkshire I was blown down. And then you suddenly, you know, the reality hit, hits home. This isn't a joke. You are surrounded by other people in wheelchairs. Some of them in more fortunate positions than myself, and some of them in much more challenging positions. And the drugs wore off, and it's like, "Hello, reality. It's time to time to deal with this." So, yeah.
0: And and you had, I guess, your, your mum and dad around you and friends as well. I mean, how how was that kind of once once the reality hit? How quickly? Because because one of the things that I that really comes across when I when I obviously now speaking to you, but also reading and hearing you uh, reading about you and hearing hearing you speak and others. You have this kind of relentless positivity, um, and and I'm curious to know how quickly that came about. Was it like okay, here's my reality. I need to kind of find a way forward, or was there a period of time where you were a bit lost and you didn't know what would come next?
1: Um, you know, it's really hard to measure your positivity when you don't know what other people's like realities really like. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that first month of intensive care, I don't remember having a lot of emotion. I think it was just in shock, you know, staying alive, full of drugs and grateful to have friends and family there and not the impact not really having hit home. When I moved to another hospital, I definitely had, and this isn't meant to sound trite, but I definitely had a period of about two weeks that was really tough. Like I did not want to wake up waking up was hell being asleep was more heavenly because i had all these in my in my dreams i could remember running over mountains and the feeling of my feet on the ground and the peat and the rocks and all these kind of really intensive um sensory experiences and then yeah i don't know i mean i think basically i have got a i have definitely got an optimism bias and probably a positivity bias which i'm fortunate to have in many ways uh but but to me, it, it's not like you just flick a switch and suddenly it's all okay. Like I'm a human being, so of course, of course, it's painful at times, and there's there's lots of things that you keep going through even years later. But I think I fundamentally realised that I'm alive, and I did lose a very close friend three months after my accident in a climbing accident, and I think his death was very impactful for me because again, it was a reminder that well, I'm still here. So I can sit around and be miserable about it or you can just get on and make the most of it. And and you know, when you when you're being held by friends and supported, you still have fun. And you know, so even though that that time in hospital, I was in in a hospital for six months basically, was one of the hardest times of my life, it was also one of the most memorable times because you just you're going through I think when we have these intensity of emotions that we're experiencing it's also a huge opportunity for learning and for growth and for connection with other people. And those things are really special too. So it's easy to see this stuff as horrendous and traumatic, but actually there's always another side to it, which is the flip side. You know, on one side, of course, it is horrendous and traumatic. And then on the other side, we're alive and we've got friendships and we're breathing and there's so many things to be grateful for. So,
0: Yeah, that that really resonates with me. I, I, I completely... Hear where you're coming from, and and I think, you know, your ability to look at it and see that is is definitely strong. Uh, I was wondering also because you, you've gone on to do quite a lot of big adventures since your accident, and I'd love to talk about a few of those. Um, but I, I wondered how they how they came about because you're obviously really kind of active and adventurous before the accident, and so was it like hey once you started to get back on track was it like I need to get back to this or were you inspired by other people that you saw who had similar um similar injuries and that you thought well if they can do that then
1: I can neither neither of those things I think everything I've done honestly is just been really really organic so you know my first adventure was going to the Orkney Islands and trying to sleep on a beach again and I just cried so much that weekend, you know, just the pain of looking at mountains and these beautiful places that I felt I couldn't go to anymore. It was horrendous. And then, I mean, I suppose I was lucky to then go back to being a student and being in that environment where you with lots of young people, there's lots of sports clubs, lots of opportunities and kind of people are just up for random crazy things, aren't they? So I think I was just at that age in life where there were there were a lot of opportunities and a lot of people to be surrounded by so that was a good thing because it meant I could adventure and explore and try things out. But I'd never set any determined path of intention to do anything, and I've, and it's not either that I was particularly, in, you know, back. It's it's not that far off thirty years ago since I was paralyzed, and I didn't really see a lot of adventure happening amongst people that were paralyzed. So it wasn't that either. I just um, I don't know. It's just been really organic and gradual. And, I just knew I wanted to go back. I really wanted to go to the Himalayas. I was like, I don't want to go there and be on a bus. Like, what would be good? And then I found out about this bike manufacturer in Australia. that They It could make me a crazy tandem that you pedal with your arms at the front. So it just happened and got that. And we ended up taking this six-week journey through the middle of absolutely nowhere in, in Kazakhstan, China, Pakistan. And then you're like, wow, we just did this. Thing. like that's amazing we didn't have any support we're in the middle of nowhere we cycled ourselves and wild camped, and i don't know and think things grew organically and and people ask me all the time like what's your next plan and as if i've got some kind of hit list that i'm <laughs> I've got this, like life plan of all these things i have to do and it's just so not like that it's really random how things just happen so yeah
0: I find myself scratching off the question I was going to ask you about what's next on the horizon for you but I I, one of the questions I did have for you was about the variety of the challenges that you've done and that you've kind of answered that question which is well it's quite organic you just if opportunities come up or ideas come to you 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 give it a go because because you talked about the Himalayas you you did a a month long traverse of Greenland by Sitski, which I mean, must've been amazing. You climbed El Capitan. I mean, these are, they're, they're really varied, aren't they? So can you talk about the Greenland one? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Cause that's a major, major. Yeah,
1: I mean, again, that was just sort of accidental. It was quite a long time. Well, it was about maybe 15 years after I'd been paralyzed. Um, so at that point I had a few cycle adventures in the Himalayas and Ended up on a sea kayak journey from Vancouver to Alaska for three months, just like sleeping on beaches, which was incredible. Um, which was also random. I'd met I'd met a woman who who kayaked that route, and I just thought, God, I'd love to do that. And then my partner at the time said, Well, why don't we just do it? And then the next person he invited was also a guy that was paralyzed. So it's like, Well, now we've got two of us that can't walk, and only one person that can. And then we just end up growing this group of people that of about nine of us in the end, and we just um Arrived in Vancouver and took this journey. It was amazing. But Greenland, um, I'd always fancied to go at cross-country skiing. um, Managed to get hold of a sit ski. Had some friends, a friend who'd married a Finnish guy and they lived in Arctic Finland. Went on holiday there one new year. Was absolutely rubbish at sit skiing. Freezing cold the whole time. At the end of the trip, a husband, Pasi, said, i think we should go and see across greenland i'm like what you are insane like i can't even ski around your back garden um but of course it's all about when the seeds are planted then it you know i find that when the seeds are planted often they won't go away from me and they grow shoots and roots and suddenly it's like oh no i'm gonna get myself into trouble here (laughs) um yeah we ended up taking that journey and it was incredible for me um because it was an opportunity to be in a completely wilderness environment with no roads no tarmac no traffic no no it was the first time i've been somewhere just complete wilderness away from everything and i was petrified i mean i'm paralyzed from the chest down so below that level i can't regulate my body temperature obviously can't move anything but also um was worried about takes me an hour to go to the toilet Frostbitten bottoms you know there's all the all the aspects of of bladder and bowels and skin care and, and temperature control and all the stuff that I guess everyone's worried about to a degree, but it's sort of next level really when you're, when you're paralyzed. So, but I like, I quite, I like a challenge and I like problem solving. So I end up often just listing all of the fears I've got and then we can not do things because of those fears or we can find little solutions to the fears. And so that's generally my strategy.
0: (laughs) That's really interesting. So do you think you find yourself typically kind of gravitating towards things that kind of frighten you or push you out of your comfort zone?
1: Um, it seems that way. I mean, yeah, I'm, I think increasingly I'm getting quite comfortable with the comfort zone, but I also like, I mean, for example, I'm spoiling your question order here, but a, a few weeks ago I randomly received an email asking me if I'd be interested in sailing to Greenland this summer with a g- group of incredible women. And I'm not a sailor. and am gonna. Uh, but I read it, and I'm like, absolutely, it sounds amazing. And this, I'm going to put myself into this boat where I can't move around or do anything. Really, I'll lose all my independence. And it intrigues me that my independence is so important to me, and I've I probably have fought fiercely for it at various points in my life. And yet, I'm also very willing just to give up all that independence and, and go into an environment just for the experience of yeah something different and special and being with a team and being out of the comfort zone and what you discover in that process
0: i love that i love that my my wife always gives me stick because that's the kind of thing i do i just say yes before i've really thought about it i think that's that's awesome and one of my favorite quotes uh is a t.s Eliot quote which is um if you're not in over your head how do you know how tall you are and i kind of like that that idea that um you know sometimes we just have to step right out of our comfort zone and bite off more than we can chew. So that saving to Greenland sounds awesome.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about it. I got a tour of the boat a few days ago and I was just kind of inside going, "Karen, what are you doing? Like you
0: can't go anywhere. Thing?
1: But the the guy who's the skipper um seemed very creative. He was like, We well, could get a bean bag and then you can we could sit you on the beanbag at the top of the stairs and kind of roll you down through this cubby hole into the next level i'm like okay
0: brilliant
1: <laughs> it's gonna turn into like a kiddie's play park i think
0: that's amazing what well, that well, when and so when's that going to be
1: well interestingly it was the perfect timing for me because i have been training for what i'd hoped would be my last paralympics in tokyo um obviously it was delayed by a year but i carried on training all year and then went to race just so about a month ago and felt absolutely horrendous after the race decided unusually for me not to race a second race because i just my body was just screaming at me like it could not to and um, so huge dilemma you can imagine um and anyway ended up realizing that i needed to have a fairly major surgery i've had a six centimeter rock in my bladder that's been totally infected for growing gradually it reached the, the limit of my body being able to cope with it so it was like the end of a 13, 14 year career in Paralympic sport. And this email arrived and it's at the same time as the Paralympics at the end of August. So I'm like, that sounds way more exciting. And it's uh and it's not just the sailing trip, there's a whole piece around it of lots of filming going on with doing quite a lot of work around measuring microplastics in the water and visiting communities in Greenland and sort of looking at the impact of climate change and things. So yeah feels meaningful and exciting
0: yeah that's really nice isn't it the idea that it can be like purpose-driven adventures it's not just you getting your kind of adventure fix but there's actually some real purpose for the trip as well that's awesome
1: to be honest that's you know I think probably we go through we can go on adventures for so long where we're just getting an adventure fix but and, and you know part of it's just growing as we grow through life but I've definitely reached the point where it feels like there needs to be more purpose to it and, uh, and asking what that is rather than just blindly going on anything and everything. It's like, no, what, what, what's this really about? Or how, how is there some storytelling in this that could be interesting or helpful to the world? And those are the kind of things that, that get me excited about adventure now.
0: That's awesome. Well that kind of bridges quite nicely to one of the questions I wanted to ask you because you know, when I was researching uh, for this call and getting ready to chat to you, I think it would be really easy to kind of dive into the Paralympic stuff because you've been, you've been doing that for so long and also dwell on the accident. But um, a friend of mine pointed me in the direction of your Quest 79, and I really wanted to talk, spend a bit of time talking about that with you if I can. So could you maybe just tell us a little bit about Quest 79 and what that is and what it means to you.
1: Yeah so again it's something that just kind of appeared in my life without really planning it but there was an interesting joke the whole summer leading up to the Rio Paralympics in 2016 about me and the number 79 um that's a, it was just to do with a hot drink and a barista saying, "Ask, ask for your drink at 79 degrees," because it was the hottest the machine makes it. And then everyone's like, "What a I Can't believe you're asking for your drinks at 79 degrees." It's like no, that's what they told me to do. So it was like a joke for a few months. And then I won the 79th medal for Britain in Rio, and I was like, "That's weird." That number was kicking around all summer. And then I realized that the the medal that I we we tried to share actually myself and my teammate in the London 2012 Paralympics. We crossed the finish line holding hands together and um, caused chaos trying to share a bronze medal. Um, and that was on the 7th of the 9th. I was like, oh, that's weird. That's that number again. And then I just started seeing this number appear everywhere, like really weird things in my life, just like 79 was everywhere. And I was like, okay, what's this all about? Um, and so I ended up, you know, climbers climb the seven summits, and I thought I'd really... I'd love to visit the seven continents, but I can't climb seven summits. So what would I do? And so I got really interested in this idea and decided that I'd love to follow rivers and oceans of seven continents. And clearly, Antarctica will be a bit different. But yeah, in the middle of the process, I actually then discovered that 79 degrees latitude and longitude crosses in Antarctica. And it's about 79 nautical miles from the base that you would fly into. So it's very doable. I mean, it could have been thousands and thousands of miles away. So the plan, well, anyway, so yeah, i been on these journeys crossing continents, raising a lot of money for charity. People coming with me on these journeys that have never done anything like this before, on some of them kind of investigating some um, connection between landscape and environment and stuff going on within myself um it's like for radio 4 so it was kind of thoughtful investigative sort of stuff <laughs> but yeah I'm just really ha- I've discovered a lot through those journeys and had the privilege of strangers and other people joining me on them who have been going through transformation themselves because they've never done anything like that before so yeah the last the last continent remaining is antarctica and as i say we've discovered the 79 Latitude and longitude there. So the plan is to go there and create a new pole called the Pole of Possibility. And so, as part of Quest 79, people have been getting involved by doing their own quests. And all I did was just invite people to just this idea that when we step out of our comfort zone, we discover something new about ourselves or the people around us or something new. And that's really, you know, special. And I believe that we find kind of gold inside of ourselves oh and the the key bit i forgot to say is that 79 is the atomic number of gold and years ago i was a geologist studying gold so it's kind of and then i spent all these years in the paralympic world trying to win gold medals so it's kind of like this number and this concept of gold has followed me my whole life and who knows what that's all about but now it's really about what i'm calling inner gold and that we've all got it inside us and we forget it and we lose it and we get down or depressed or sad or all these things but we've all got this ability to connect with something really special within us to find more joy more happiness more peace more positivity and I'm not saying that it's all about being super happy and clappy and positive all the time like it's really important to feel the difficult stuff I think but it's that contrast which is part of being human isn't it the combination of all the emotions (laughs) (laughs) sorry so um yeah just uh so people have been doing incredible quests it's been really inspiring me everything really varied from stuff that's physical so 10 year old kids doing like 79 peaks in 79 weeks cycling 79 miles with cerebral palsy lots of them raising money for charity um through to environmental stuff so people picking litter for 79 days planting 79 trees And then just through to kindness and compassion stuff. So people doing 79 acts of kindness, chores for people, sometimes raising money for charity, sometimes not. 79 days of self-compassion when they felt really burnt out. 79 days of journaling. You know, just really varied and beautiful stuff that's all about just uh, working to what each of us uniquely needs. Sometimes we need physical stuff. Sometimes we need emotional stuff sometimes we need connection sometimes we need nature yeah, yeah that's
0: yeah. a summary <laughs> I love it I absolutely love it and and I think I mean quite apart from this number 79 following you around every that definitely feels like the uh, the universe talking to you which I believe some people may not believe that but I believe in all that stuff and I think that you know there's there's definitely a message there um and that that idea of like inner gold and and kind of pushing your personal boundaries and stepping out of your comfort zone. Uh, is so that that really i really connect with that because that that to a certain extent is really what this podcast is all about 28 summers um it's just about kind of optimizing your life i don't know whether you know the story about the brand the, the um, name, like
1: i'm trying but... to know why it's 28 so i'm gonna have to research
0: yeah that. <laughs> well I, i'll tell you real quick it's it's simple i was listening to a an interview with a guy called jesse itzler back in 2018 he just turned 50 um, and the average uh the average life expectancy of a male in the US is 78. And he was being asked by the interviewer, why do you have such a like a relentless energy for life? Why do you just want to like optimize every single day and make sure that there's no no zero days? And he said, Well, I've only got twenty-eight, twenty-eight years left. In fact, it's worse than that, I've only got twenty-eight summers left. Um, and then he it, it kind of went on and he was even talking about you know how many times he sees his parents a year and the age they were and he was maybe only going to see his parents seven more times and it was it was just like the penny drop for me because i was you know in middle age so i was kind of in my early 40s and just feeling like a little bit lost and a little bit stuck and trying to trying to kind of find my way forward and it just really it just really kind of made sense to me and it and it helped me think about what i was trying to achieve and also how i had been living my life and just making sure i focused on to your point, it's not always about doing amazing adventures every day and climbing mountains and stuff, but making sure that every day was adventurous, which I think is different different from having adventures so being adventurous for me recently was was you know drawing a picture uh, you know I'm not an artist, and so drawing a picture of a a landscape or you know, it could be learning a u- new language, it could be writing a poem it doesn't have to be climbing a mountain, and I think that notion of living adventurously is it's kind of really interesting it seems like it connects really well with what you're doing
1: yeah and in fact when covid started and lockdown started I, i just invented this um i called it the adventure mindset cafe and i just ran some online stuff which was just about how we can bring an adventure mindset into every day and it's not about traditional ideas of adventure necessarily we could have an adventure in our living room in so many ways and yeah
0: yeah I, I think, love that I'm, you know I'm you're, change you're it to
1: 29 summers though now because you know, <laughs> we need to up the eight the average age is 79 to fit in here so
0: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and it wasn't 28 for me but it, I just it kind of it just worked for me but I am um, I, but I love that idea that you can have an adventure in your living room you know I think one of the things that I always talk about is I think when we were kids we were full of imagination and awe and wonder and you can have an adventure anywhere and then as you get older you kind of get subdued a little bit and you you find it harder to have adventures just just in your with your imagination or you know so I did a series recently on Instagram where I was helping people with ideas on how to have adventure before work and it was just things like go for a barefoot walk or climb a tree or light a campfire and have breakfast before you go to work like how many people would do that wouldn't have breakfast outside before they go to work but it's really adventurous and it feels really fun
1: sleep on you i keep meaning to sleep on my balcony but then the idea of getting by mosquitoes puts me off
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i one of my one of the most popular ones that i did were two of the most popular one, one was eat all your eat all your meals for the day outside it's amazing how that kind of changes the whole context of your day. But the one that was most popular was watch the sunrise and sunset on the same day. And it's kind of funny because we all love a sunrise and a sunset, but how often do we make sure we see them both in the same day or one when we go to bed and one when we wake up? So it's kind of yeah, – that, really, that was really cool. People really like that
1: one. Absolutely good. I had a little adventure this morning, actually. I found a place that I've never, ever been to before, this beautiful little bay which is only about five kilometers from where I live here in Mallorca right now. And can't believe I've never, ever been there. And it was just really cool. And the reason I found it is because, and this is, I think this will, will speak to you as well, is because I had surgery two weeks ago, I'm post-operative. I've still got staples in my body and I can't do what I normally do. So it's made me shift my routines and change things. And I was like, I want to go on a massive trek like I normally would. I don't feel well enough. So let's just have a poodle. And then you you know so that's when the difficult stuff happens there's always these little bonuses to be found in there yeah
0: I love that and do you know what's so funny I um I told you before we started recording that I just spent the last three days in Spain uh I was actually in Mallorca that's where I was so we we were right yeah right by each other I was in Parma for uh for three days so um so there you go but I that idea I that you said of just kind of just exploring is also another thing that i that I love, like I used to be really fixated if I went for a run, I mapped it out the night before I knew exactly where I was going to go, I knew exactly the distance, and now when I go for a run i I just turn I get to the end of a road or a path, I just say, "Oh I'll go left today, I might go right tomorrow and it's amazing the little places you can stumble on that you've lived by all your life or for long periods of time, you had no idea they were there. It's so cool, yeah, so um. I'd love to talk a little bit about your coaching as well, because you, you know you've you've been through a lot in your life and you, you've you've achieved an awful lot. But it feels very much like um, you're you're keen to help others like have these experiences so they can unlock the same kind of uh, growth, I guess, that you've unlocked. Is that is that fair? Is that a good assessment?
1: Yeah, like I, my life doesn't feel right unless there's a bit more meaning to it, and what I've realized over the years is that when I'm coaching somebody I'm just lost in with them I don't mean lost I'm like immersed in the experience with them and it's I just love it it's it's, I'm just so present in that space with that person and um I really enjoy helping people navigate their worlds and I'm not professing that I have any answers for anybody but that's the whole point of that's that's what my view of coaching is all about is not having the solutions that everybody's got their own solutions but it's helping listen and ask good questions that can help people unlock what's within them and the the passions the desires the potential the possibility that we all have to live life in a in a in a fuller greater way than perhaps we sometimes do
0: yeah Yeah. I love the um I I love the uh, the, you know the kind of the honesty of of what you said before as well. It's not like every day's a a perfectly happy day. I think you know that's kind of one of the Insta perfect myths out there, isn't there? If you only post the good stuff, whatever people think you've just got this perfect life, but they never see the dips in between. Um, And and so partly,
1: yeah. I recently recently had the good fortune to interview Tal Ben Shahar, who's uh, I can't remember his official organization name now it's one of the world's sort of leading researchers into happiness and ran harvard's most popular ever course which was all about happiness and he's got a great line is that the only people who are happy are um people who are basically psychopaths because it's not it's just not possible to be happy all the time it's not how it is but there's lots of things we can do each day to really help improve our our happiness but also our ability to navigate the stuff and 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 experience the stuff that's more more difficult and question 79 actually is is interestingly moving in a direction which i'd never really anticipated but on the 7th of the 9th this year we've got a super special event that a childhood connection that I came across just in this last uh, six months, actually a wonderful woman called Rachel it turned out that our parents lived in the same house in a village. And we'd met as children at parties, but never, never been in contact as adults. Um, and we met on clubhouse and our parents drank together in the same club in the village and, and had lived in the same house <laughs> and her, parents, her father's passed now, but we met on this, this app clubhouse and we've been brought together. And she's passionate about, Similar things to me, just helping people raise their energy levels to be, you know, so that we can be more of the good stuff inside of us and all that inner gold. So we're creating a really exciting day on the 7th of the 9th, which will be sort of virtual and real. To we've got 79 what we're calling inner gold guides from all around the world coming together. And these people are gonna be, well, Tal ben Shahar talking about happens as one of them. We've got some people in Bhutan because that's the land of happiness where they measure economic decisions based on impact on gross national happiness instead of gross national product. And then lots of people who work as healers in different modalities, helping people with their positivity and their energy. And and it's it's free of charge. We're asking if people can afford it to make a donation of £7.90 and the theme of 79 for charity um, or, and to help the work of quest 79 as well. So. Yeah. That's
0: that's amazing. I love that as well, because I think that, you know, that's, that's a really, a really positive message around the world, you know, kind of continuing that theme of not every day can be perfect, but generally having a quest for happiness, I think is, you know, what do you, you when people say, what do you want in life? I think to be happy is good. You know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got, I got four kids and actually got another one on the way. And um, so, you know, that's what, if anybody said to me, what do you want for your kids? It would be that I just want them to be happy. You
1: know, I think that's, there's that, there's that slightly hedonistic view of happy, isn't it? That it means that we're like, woohoo, all the time. But for me, it, it's more about peace. It's like a sense of at peace with ourselves so that we can navigate all of the roller coaster of life. And I'm sure you have plenty of that with five kids. So Yeah. I and mean, I think, <laughs> well, you,
0: yeah, you used a really nice word as well earlier. You, you talked about being content. And I think that's a, that's a really, um, really positive way to talk about happiness it's this idea for me at least it's this idea that we don't live too far in the past and we don't live too far in the future we're just we're just kind of present and if you can enjoy the present then then you've got a real shot at happiness i think for a lot a lot of people we kind of get stuck so far out one way or the other that we're not we're just not enjoying what's around us right in front of us
1: well also there's so many it's hard to find the words isn't it to describe these things because content in some ways you might mean You could interpret that as in your comfort zone, sort of sat looking at an ocean with a a drink in your hand and you're just content. But actually, realistically, that's probably not what most of us, makes most of us content. We need those moments balanced with those moments where we're getting stretched and challenged and learning. So I don't even know if we've got the vocabulary to really describe what this is, but inner goals as close as I've come.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like inner gold. I think that's really a really a nice way of describing it. And I also, I wonder if you agree, but I think it's kind of a deeply personal thing, isn't it? It's almost like a continuum and people sit in different places on the continuum. What what makes, you know, one person happy and content is certainly different for, for others. At least that's the way I think about it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I I was going to ask you what is next on the horizon for you, but um, but you were kind of already you've already told me that Greenland is the big the big focus. So what's what does yeah. train land, uh, training look like for, for Greenland?
1: I have no idea. I don't know how to train <laughs> to be on a sailing boat. So that's something coming up soon, and I'm hoping that my body recovers. I've got holes where they shouldn't be at the minute, and staples and tubes where they shouldn't be. But I'm hoping all that all I get sorted in time yeah. that I can get wet and then um the pole of possibility is the last continent and it's uh you know if i'm honest it feels like it's it feels like it's the pole of impossibility because it's been held in my consciousness for so long and it's still not happened and challenges with sponsors and getting support and then dropping out and covid and delays and also like big questions coming up so uh, i know this isn't uh, well i I just want to share it, but the guy that was um, very, very incredible guy, one of the top polar guides in the world who was to be our, our, our leader in down in in Antarctica died two days ago in Greenland, fell down a crevasse. And so that's, um, you know, just makes brings up all these questions again of how we balance risk with, with being challenged with, with growth, with adventure and, yeah just uh it's just an interesting one so the polar possibility has got a mild pause button on it just now while we absorb that information and and decide what and how and how we move forward so it's uh yeah interesting one but it is it is on the horizon and we'll see if it's meant to be it will certainly happen yeah
0: that's a nice way of thinking about it well i am just really love chatting to you today before before i let you go can i can i ask for people that are listening who are you know, they're hearing your story and, and they're they're thinking about living more adventurously and, and kind of, you know, maybe keen to find their inner gold. What would be your what would be your advice to them?
1: Just go and do it. Just go and do something. No matter how small. Walk outside, Perfot, go out in the starlight, look at the moon. Anything, no matter how small it is, if it's something we don't normally do, it starts to be an adventure. And then when you feel fear, if things start to get a bit bigger and more intimidating at the idea of them, then plan well, write your fears down, think about things you can do about each of them. Are they real fears? Are they imagined fears? And uh, just keep navigating forward to, yeah, bring more, I, I believe more adventure brings more growth and expansion and that's always a good thing in my world.
0: Yeah yeah couldn't agree more well we already talked about um quest79.com as a as a good place for people to go and find out more uh about that where where else can people find you and
1: follow you online um yeah i've got a website which is just my name so karen dark d-a-r-k-e.com which i've tried to share some of the experiences and stories there's a blog on there where i've written i don't write very often actually but there's quite a few nice i hope nice stories on there from previous adventures that may or may not inspire or spark something within people to take their own adventure and or view life a bit differently
0: I'm sure it will well look thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it and uh, excited to continue watching what happens with uh, with all of the things you're doing with quest 79 and uh, certainly sailing to Greenland looking forward to seeing that one come come to fruition
1: thanks Jay and you too happy adventure
0: yeah thank you.